Are you a designer, collector, or creator with a treasure trove of unique props and memorabilia? Well, it's time to turn your collection into cash. If you have props, costumes, set pieces, crew gifts, or any other type of memorabilia, Prop Store wants to put your items center stage in their upcoming Los Angeles live auction. It's located right outside of Los Angeles, Prop Store is the leader in online auctions and sales of authentic memorabilia from movies, TV, and entertainment. And the best part is that Prop Store will handle all the logistics for you. From valuing your items to marketing, reaching potential buyers worldwide, they've got you covered. It is an incredible opportunity to turn your inventory into profit. Just go to propstore.com sell. That is propstore.com sell. And let PropStore make your memorabilia shine just as brightly as it did on screen. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. It's just texture, adding texture always, so that you can make something that's completely not surreal, but maybe hyper-real and kind of um, painterly and baroque. But it's always got this feeling of truth. You can shoot Jacob like a Greek god, because he looks like one, but you also need to go in super, super close and see pause. A lot of the time I was shouting, armpit hair. Welcome to another new episode of In the Envelope, the actor's podcast. I am your host, backstage senior editor, Vinny Mancuso. And if you're listening to this on release day, a very happy Thanksgiving to anyone who celebrates. And if you're listening to this on any other day, well, we are still extremely thankful to have an incredible, incredible guest today. Oscar-winning director, writer, and actor, Emerald Fennell. Uh, now, there's a chance you first met Emerald as an on-screen presence. Uh, she's, of course, had roles in Joe Wright's Anna Karenina, The Danish Girl, The Crown. She, of course, played Midge in Greta Gerwig's Barbie. But Emerald has also quickly become one of the most exciting names behind the camera in the last many years, honestly. Uh, she's the first ever British woman to be nominated for Best Director. Uh, that was, of course, for her directorial debut, Promising Young Woman the 2020 film that also saw her win Best Original Screenplay. Uh, now, 2023, she's back with an incredible follow-up, her second feature film, Saltburn. Saltburn is uh, an absolute trip. Uh, I cannot wait for the world to see it because it must be discussed. It stars Oscar nominee and former In the Envelope guest, Barry Keoghan, as a reserved Oxford student named Oliver. Oliver accepts a summer vacation invitation to the estate of his classmate, Felix, of course played by the great and very tall Jacob Elordi. And from there, Saltburn is just this 
twisted maze of horniness and hedonism. Uh, it's just a delight, truly. Uh, the rest of the cast is incredible. Uh, you have Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant, Archie Medecqui, Alison Oliver. The atmosphere, thanks to Emerald and the cinematographer Linus Sandgren, uh, is like this gothic, psychosexual nightmare, uh, in a good way, of course. And Emerald really just proves, once again, to be a singular voice as a writer and director. And she's so candid here, uh, talking about her process and everything that went into Saltburn, that you really just can't get a better idea of what it takes to follow up an Oscar win, get unique performances out of your actors, and just make a movie in general than what she has to say. Let's get into it. Here is Emerald Fennell. Emerald, thank you so much for being here. It is a pleasure to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, of course. Um, I saw Saltburn uh, about two weeks ago. I have been obsessing over it uh, ever since. Um, if you look at my my Spotify, it is nothing but murder on the dance floor. Uh, just, I, I, won't, I won't say what it plays over in the movie, but man, it is a, uh, it is a moment. Uh, this whole movie is filled with nothing but moments it is it is truly truly an incredible film uh, and i can't wait to talk about it so thank you so much for being here thank you it's so um it's so scary when people start watching it so <laughs> yeah. it's very very nice when they like it so thank yes, you i can imagine uh so i do i do want to you know sort of talk about its position in your filmography it is your second feature film with promising young woman that was clearly establishing your voice you know establishing who you are as a filmmaker your your touches with the second film is it sort of an opportunity to then say the here's what i'm doing on purpose you know is it sort of like you're establishing your trademarks you're establishing things you're interested in as opposed to like you know just who you are um that's actually an interesting question i think certainly on purpose it's it's a really interesting kind of phrase that you use um i think absolutely it's important that people kind of, yeah, I, I suppose with your second movie, it, it's sort of, it's about kind of demonstrating, I guess, the sort of themes that you're interested in, the kind of filmmaker you want to be. And also there's a certain amount of, um, especially when you're making films that kind of play with genre um, and in, you know, in some ways are like maybe pastiche, you know, as Promising a Woman was with the revenge, you know, thriller. And then this Saltburn is with um, the kind of country house gothic I guess, I guess for want of a better uh, phrase. Yeah, you 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 kind of, you always sort of have find yourself talking about intentionality, I guess. The sort of referencing that the kind of assembly of, uh, the, the, the sort of echoes of other things are all an intrinsic part of the thing that you're making. But yeah, it's very, it's really interesting coming out with the second film because of course you don't think of yourself, I guess, as, you don't think of yourself in that way. Mm-hmm. You are just making the things that interest you. If you're lucky, I wish that I could be as kind of um, Machiavellian and organized to think of stuff in that mm-hmm. way. But 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 really, for me, it's like I go away and write one thing at a time. And Saltburn was the thing that I wanted to make, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't know that it was a kind of it's sad. It wasn't a plan to make something actively different although i think in many ways it is and it isn't i guess i don't know you're probably better to tell me promising young woman you know one 
Best Screenplay, a huge honor. Nominated for Best Picture, the first British woman to be nominated for Best Director. Incredible, incredible film, incredible honors. But I am curious about that transition from, holy shit, all that happened to, holy shit, I have to get to work on what's next. You know, what was that that sort of transition period to like, all right, that's done. Let's get to the next one. Um, well, I think, uh, I think it was so crazy. I think I think I was very lucky in many ways because I was sort of protected from the holy shit a little bit because, you know, we were in a pandemic and I had a very mm-hmm. small child and I was pregnant. So I think actually it's some weirdly more apparent now with the release of this movie you know, this is probably closer to what it would have felt like the first time in any Mm -hmm. other circumstances. And so actually in a funny way, I was kind of in a vacuum, even when I was writing Saltburn, you know, I I kind of hadn't maybe appreciated the kind of, I don't don't know, sort of the the impact of, of, um, of Promising a Woman or like how many people had seen it and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's, it's amazing now and so thrilling to get to kind of meet people and talk about it. But really at the time I was sort of at home on my computer, you know, occasionally talking to people on Zoom and things, but but I I didn't really, I guess I, I was protected from it. So it meant that Saltburn could kind of live in its own world away from that. And, and, and also I think I'm lucky in that I love the work. I mean, I love writing. Um, as I say, I kind of, I do one thing at a time I don't show it to anyone. I don't tell anyone anything about it. They don't even know the title. And then when it's ready, I'll, you know, I'll give it to, I'll give it to my team um, and say, this is the thing I want to make next. If you like it, amazing. If you think it's demented and terrible, equally as useful information, um, then I'll write something else because this is kind of it. This is the thing I want to make. And it does make it much, much easier. And and I think COVID you know, being being at home meant that I'm such a huge fan of so many people. And I think what happens when something like Promising a Woman comes out is you get so many incredible offers and opportunities that are just like life-changing. And, you know, as a kind of like movie nerd, I guess you just want to, you know, you would feel crazy to say no to half of these things. And so early on, I said to I, I said to my guys, you know, and I was able to again because I was <laughs> heavily pregnant again. Um, look, I don't. It, it's better if I don't know about these things because if I know, mm-hmm. then I'll be. It'll be impossible to say no because how could I? So I'm going to go away and write this thing and and just don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want it because of I mm-hmm. yeah. It, and and so that you know that really helped too. So I think yeah, I was just I was um. I was lucky that that pressure wasn't there, I think, in the writing and in the making. Now it's interesting because, of course, now I'm talking about it, people are seeing it, and inevitably there are kind of comparisons and and people have lots of questions about it as it pertains to kind of promising a woman. And um, So I suppose I'm thinking of them mm-hmm. in that way more now than maybe I was at the beginning. Thank goodness. Like, if you think about, yeah, if you think about the sort of pressure of it, mm-hmm. um, I think you'd lose your mind. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's there's all that stuff surrounding the work. None of that's helpful. I can I have to assume it, you just have to, like you said, sort of don't give me those offers. Don't don't even let me know about them. I have to go chase this idea that I'm interested in. It depends what kind of filmmaker you are as well, because some people thrive on that actually, 
And and I think there's a world where, you know, maybe after this or, you know, in a few things time, maybe that's exactly the stuff that I want to be doing, something that's more collaborative. Or, But I think just for, for this, I, I wanted to, you know, Promising Young Women gave me such an opportunity to make something I wanted to make. And so it was really, yeah, thrilling to be able to do that and that people wanted to, yeah, wanted to make it with me, I guess. On that sort of related thread, there's a, a moment towards the beginning of Saltburn I found very interesting uh, where, you know, Archie's character is criticizing some work that Barry's character did. And Barry's sort of retort is, you know, you're you're criticizing the delivery method and not the substance. And especially because, you know, he had not even experienced the poems that the the work is about. I'm, I'm curious how much of you as a second time filmmaker is in that, you know, sort of responding to the the criticisms of the delivery method and not the substance, especially by people who have not lived the source material. That is so fascinating because, you know, I would actually say it's kind of almost the opposite. Interesting. Is that often people are, you know, that they're looking, especially I think maybe even if you're, especially if you're a female filmmaker, they're looking for the kind of memoir, they're looking for the political Mm -hmm. side of things. In fact, they support the message, but they're not, they don't like dig the delivery Mm because it's not how they would have done it. You know, so actually it's kind of almost if that was the case, I think it would almost be the inverse Mm -hmm. because you find a lot of the time that you're having to, you know, sort of, you know, for example, remind people that of course you, of course you're um, familiar with the work of Peter Greenaway. And yes, you have read um, Moritz and you, you know, there's, there's a kind of, um, I think it's, yeah, sort of almost the opposite of what. Oliver's arguing it's it's kind of what Farley's arguing it's like actually the method is as important as the as the thing itself and kind mm-hmm. of up to a point I suppose that is what Saltburn is about it's about it is about style and it is about artifice and it's about you know how far it's about I guess hard work versus glamour maybe but yeah it's so interesting I I kind of hadn't thought about it in those terms necessarily it, for me, it was sort of more to do with the fact that Oliver as a character has um, spent his whole time, his whole life doing his homework. And then he just realizes that actually doing your homework is kind of gauche. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm the opposite. I'm Oliver in this in this regard. I think, I mean, do your homework. <laughs> do it. Do <laughs> yeah. it really, really diligently, obsessively it's... until everyone loses their mind. I was so interested to see the themes, the images that sort of carried over to 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 sort of get an idea of stuff you're interested in. The thing that I immediately sprung to mind is how wonderfully you capture height differences between your actors. In this film, in, in Promising a Woman, there's this, the stark height difference between Carrie and Bo. In this, it's Barry and Barry and everyone, but especially, you know, Barry and Jacob, Barry and Archie. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned intentionality and you struck me as a filmmaker that what's in the frame is in the frame for a reason. So with something like that, with so many beautiful shots of height difference in this film, what's going into that thematically? Yes. I mean, with Carrie and Bo, of course, we we talk about it a lot in the movie. And that was, yeah, that was kind of quite a difficult one because obviously we, we were shooting anamorphic. <laughs> so you're yeah. super, super wide and, and shallow, I guess. Yeah, I think, well, well, you know, what's interesting is Barry's tall. It's just that Jacob mm-hmm. and Archie are Aller. six foot five. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, whether it was, it, I think when it comes to casting, 
by not really looking at those sorts of things necessarily, but certainly there's a kind of physicality. I think to, you know, Barry is so beautiful and kind of his sort of chemistry and his energy is so unusual. And I think the part of, you know, the part of Oliver is that he is ostensibly kind of one of us. He's kind of ordinary and his own kind of beauty and sex appeal becomes kind of apparent over the course of the film. Whereas, you know, you know, the world of the beautiful people of Phoenix and Farley played by Archie and Jacob is, you know, they're kind of physicality is sort of more languid and elongated and all of those sorts of things. I mean, I think the consideration that we have, it's always twofold. It's who is the person, you know, Oliver is the outsider. And so it's always useful if you can make any kind of, if there's any like physical delineation you can make, then that's always terrific. Obviously the aspect ratio being one, three, three really helps. It helps in general shooting people, Mm -hmm. honestly, like if you're if you're kind of preoccupied with, yeah, with with a kind of like a chamber piece, I guess, with, with lots of different people in it, it makes much more sense to have one through three because it's you know it's a much more um, in many ways it's it's a much more old fashioned ratio. It's it's kind of the ratio closest to paintings, so it made it much much easier for us to shoot the house as well as the people because the house is very tall and square. What we didn't want to do was kind of cut it or anyone in half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always have these the, these kinds of considerations, but we're also, you know, it means that we're talking about power always mm-hmm. in this film and who has it. And often you will, you'll see it's quite a kind of clear thing. You'll see who, whoever's sort of higher up in the frame is often, you know, it's usually the person who has the power for that moment. Or you find that the person with the most power is diminishing themselves on purpose, is kind of kneeling or whatever it is to kind mm-hmm. of make themselves seem unthreatening. It's it's a kind of it's it's incredibly useful. Any any visual metaphor is important. And so the space between people, the height between people, whether whether they're choosing to use it or not, or rather they're they're kind of using their power in a different way, it all becomes part of it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I don't. For me, again, I don't really know how how to do it any other way. Like, if you're making a film, you, and you're literally making a film on film, as we were, mm-hmm. to not be obsessively demented about every hair, every pore, every cigarette butt, you know, it's it feels to me like, yeah, it's 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 a waste. Half of anything else, waste mm-hmm. of film. <laughs> yeah, literally. literally. And I, 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 you said that it's something you can't think about, but I, I, it is very striking. I, I, I think of like particularly there's a there's a moment towards the back half. There's at the party that is thrown towards the back half of the film, um, and Archie is talking to Barry, and he's, he's, he's literally like leaning over to talk to him. And as you mentioned, it is, it is a moment where he's exerting his power. He's saying that 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 Oliver, you know, it's when he's telling him that he'll never belong there, and it is. I love the way that you sort of, like you mentioned, Barry's not a small person, but you make him feel small in that moment when Archie's character is making him feel small in that moment. Yes, yes and no, though. Because where's the power? 
Yeah. Because I also think the power is in the stillness. Mm-hmm. It's also to do with movement. So there's a there's another kind of dynamic. I completely agree with you. It's always about how people, you know, that's what's so fucking endlessly wonderful about watching actors. It's always about how they use their bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think all of the actors in this film are exceptional physical actors, actually. Like mm-hmm. this film would work, you know, si- this would work as a silent film. I think we would understand what's happening just as clearly. Might not be like quite <laughs> so funny, maybe. But absolutely, yes, people... You know, you you find that there's a moment, yes, when Farley, when Archie's kind of like using his height very clearly mm-hmm. in a kind of territorial way, but in a funny way, he's also the person approaching. Mm-hmm. He's also the person moving in, you know? He's still having to move in. Yes. Whereas Oliver is still. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like concede any ground. He doesn't move. He doesn't respond. He just listens. And I think so much of the stillness and, you know, that it's what makes all of it so kind of sexy and interesting and complicated because it there is a certain amount of game playing that everyone does here. Everyone mm-hmm. knows how to use their beauty, how to use their bodies, you know, how to use all of it to kind of get, it's an exercise in power every single scene. And you never know who's going to win mm. or, 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 you know, sometimes it's a heroic victory. Sometimes it's just like nobody wins <laughs> or everybody wins, you know, but it's, Absolutely. it's so fun. I did want to ask about, you know, this sort of, I definitely want to ask about directing this cast because across the board, the cast is incredible, but I also want to sort of talk to you about the difference between directing actors and capturing actors. There's a lot of, I, I want to say this, it's, it's a, it's a compliment. There's a lot of shots of characters lounging around. There's a lot of characters just just sort of in repose. And, and like you mentioned, it is very painterly. And you also mentioned it's a very um, striking cast. They're very angular. They're very they 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 all they're all just fascinating to look at. So I'm curious, you know, as director who's also an actor, how you go about capturing that in a in an intentional way. It's not just pointing the camera at an actor. Well, I think. As you say, everyone in this film is so kind of beautiful, but different. In a, and, and so a lot of it is sort of dictated by who they are and, and obviously kind of character, really. I think me and Lidas both feel so much like cinematography always has to be led by by character more than anything else. And And this is a film about watching and being watched. And so much of the watching, and it's not the most obvious, it's not just the kind of voyeurism, it's not just the kind of sexual dynamic, but actually more than that, the house itself. And and in, always in this genre, in this kind of gothic country house genre, you find that there are kind of eyes at the back of everyone's heads or eyes in the room. You know, things are cleared away. Then, you know, things, mess is cleared away without you noticing. Things are fixed. Things that were broken are suddenly fixed and you don't know by invisible hands, you know. So there's always this sense of everyone watching everyone and being watched and and the extent to which they're, you know, enjoying it, inviting it is always kind of a question. So just the very nature of the film meant that the way that we shot it had to have that sort of illicit voyeuristic feel. It's never just about who you're photographing. It's about whose eyes you're watching through. And in this film, you know, invariably it's Oliver, but also we, you know, as an audience are asked to be voyeurs a lot of the time. We're asked to kind of feel the sorts of things 
that Oliver feels. We're, we're asked to desire the thing that maybe is not good for us, whether it's the house, you know, we shoot the house in just as kind of fetishistic a way as we shoot the cast. And so, you know, when it comes to sort of capturing them, it just depends who's looking at them and why, I suppose. And I'm pretty, you know, I, I, I hope that I'm quite specific. I'm quite specific about what I want, but at the same time, I hope that there's a lot of freedom around. The specificity gives people freedom because I can, you know, I can, I hope I can give them notes. There's a, there was a scene that we didn't use in the end between two characters. And one of them says in a moment of sadness, I, I, I want you to hurt me essentially. And it's sort of supposed to be a sad scene, but I, but you know, but one of the things I said to the scene made is like, what if you want to, I need to see that you want to, and you don't, it's not about, Oh no, it's, we, it's always the moment. What's the thought before the thought? What's the, what's our instinct? We need to see the instinct before the actual thing. And that's why something like, I mean, this is maybe sounds, I'm being very inarticulate, but you know, someone like Rosamond is so fascinating, such a brilliant, genius, precise performer, because what she understands is that Elspeth Catton is performing always. So she's, you know, she everything she says is sort of a test. It's to see, it's to push to see what reaction she gets, whether somebody's kind of cool enough not to react, you know, whether they're going to be able to kind of meet her at her level. And, you know, there was a world where that part could have, that that character could have just been pure camp. I mean, and she is like, she's a dream in that regard. But also you also understand that it's a game, that there's something underneath it that's, that is the performance of a performance. And so that kind of, it, it's kind of a constant, you know, I guess this is a film about doubles really and doubling. And so you're kind of trying to capture that, I guess, when you're filming people on a very like basic level, we use a lot of mirrors, we use a lot of reflections, we use a lot of kind of peeping through things, but also you're looking to get, yeah, the sort of two people in the person in front of you and mm. the kind of conflict there. That makes absolutely. sense. No, absolutely. It's always so interesting to me when, when I have a guest here who worries about being inarticulate while they're saying like the most fascinating thing <laughs> I've, I've ever heard. It's, 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 it's fascinating to hear from someone who clearly, like you said, has done the homework and does think about these things, but it, it it almost seems like you can't think about the homework in the moment. Is that is that sort of how you approach these things? Totally. I think the thing is, is that if you do your homework and everything is there, then you can break it. And it needs to be broken a little bit. Otherwise, it's not interesting. So it's kind of, like I say, like with the actors, a lot of the time, what I like to say, what I said to Carrie a lot during Promising a Woman, because she's fucking good. Everyone is so fucking good. Goes without saying, everyone in Saltburn is just like the best of the best at the top of their game. I'm just so thrilled to work with all of them. But what I often like to do is say, like, look, let's do the best acting. Let's just do the like, let's do the boring one. Let's do the boring but important version. The thing that is like that we know is going to be in the movie. And so we can do that. And then let's do some like really bad acting. Let's just do the worst acting we can do. Think like, you know, whatever it is. Let's just do that. And I think so much of the time, what you want, of course, is subtlety. What you want is their incredibly brilliant instinct because they are geniuses. 
but sometimes you need something really surprising or out of character. You know, I, I'm kind of obsessed with this idea that we have as like, and you get it all the time when you're writing or you're making something is um, inconsistent, you know, character inconsistencies. And you're like, I am not a consistent character in my life. Nobody I know is consistent. So that's the trouble often when you're making something is you have to always remember that the, the more subtle it is usually, the more sort of painstakingly true to life it is, the less real it feels. Sometimes you kind of need to let people be obvious or react to news in a really shocking way. You know, that's just what we're like. And I think it's just, it's constantly letting everyone know that we're super, super prepared. We know where we are. We trust each other. Everything's perfect. Now let's fuck it up. Because I think you kind of can't, I, I couldn't do it any other way, I don't think. And it's the same, you know, with the set, it's the same with the costumes, it's the same with everything. It's, yes, you need it to be perfect. You need to have the kind of like marquetry walls and the, you know, velvet drapes, and you need to be like obsessive about every single thing. But like also, like where are the, where are the crisps? Where's the shit magazine? Where's the boxes on the floor? Where's the shampoo? Where are these people living? actually mm -hmm. in this perfect place. And it's the same for everything. It's just texture, adding texture always so that you can make something that's completely, so not surreal, but maybe hyper real and kind of um, painterly and Baroque, but it's always got this feeling of truth. You know, you can, you can shoot Jacob like a Greek God because he looks like one, but you also need to go in super, super close and see pores and see sweat a lot of the time I was shouting, armpit hair. You know, I want to see under, under mm -hmm. the stuff is the thing, I guess. That's also something I found really effective about the aspect ratio is it, you know, sort of putting these people in a in a beautiful box. You know, it's it, they, they are in this, you're filled, the, the frame is filled with beautiful things, but it's also constricting, which kind of feels like what you're getting at. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's a kind of proscenium march almost. And certainly we have like, the way that we frame the house, the way that we frame like the little cat and theatre, the puppet theatre that, you know, that Oliver opens up, you know, all of the paintings, all of the fireplaces, everything in, everything in the house is kind of formally arranged. And so it was so important to us that this could be formally arranged and, and lots of the references, of course, you have your film references, of course, you, you know, you're looking at all of those amazing kind of films and literature and, and, and photographs that come before it. But, but we looked a lot at the lighting in the old masters, a lot of Caravaggio, um, the way that, you know, people sit for portraits and Gainsborough pictures. But again, it's kind of always kind of undermining that beauty. So with the karaoke scene, for example, we have, we, we kind of basically staged the biggest sort of Caravaggio shot. It's sort of all sort of, it's all half in, in shadow and it's silks and it's rich jewel tones and you know everyone's formally arranged on chaise longs and things and it's lit by this huge fire but then it's front lit sort of front side lit by a blue karaoke machine really shit cheap karaoke machine so you've always got this thing of like it's there's a kind of i recognize it because you know we've seen it that arrangement a thousand times but you kind of introduce the uncanny 
And I think the uncanny in this case, generally with this film, was something a bit shit. So you could be the beautiful, most beautiful man in the world, but you can still wear a Livestrong bracelet. Or, you know, you can still be the chicest person in New York as Farley, but you've still got a slightly dodgy highlight. You know, it's just, it's just about just knocking it back always a little bit. You did create a sort of that, that, like you mentioned, that sort of air of the uncanny. It's, it's dreamlike. It's, it, it feels like Oliver is in, you know, I want to say another world, but like, it almost feels like he's entering into just like another reality. And I think that that's, that is something that, that, that just comes from the, everything in the film. It's the aspect ratio. It's the the way you fill the frame. It's the way you you know use the environment to create depth, stuff like that. It all sort of adds up to this sort of air of the uncanny. No, well, I think it is uncanny because you know that life is uncanny. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're human and you're not human. It's like being very very famous. You kind of get you sort of become a god that you're not like other. But you know, there's this sort of idea of like, but they're just, but we're just. They're just normal, but they're not. They're not. They're because not. it's actually not. Well, no, not for want of trying. Not because they they in their hearts don't aren't. It's the mm-hmm. and I and I don't mean I mean this in a much more general sense than just the captains. I just mean that if you walk around the world as an exceptionally beautiful or exceptionally famous or exceptionally rich person, you are not experiencing the world as as everyone else. So actually, in many ways, you really are kind of supernatural. So, so that's kind of, that's always really interesting to me. But, but in general, when, when we're talking about this film, these houses, the reason that I think it's so spooky is not just because it's beauty and it's austerity and it's mad over the topness. It's that they're watching super bad mm-hmm. and smoking cheap ciggies and listening to perfect by Mason Exeter. That's the, the uncanniness is like, oh shit, people still live like this. Mm-hmm. And it and that's what feels so kind of disconcerting. We're so used to seeing it in a kind of period, period, period drama. Absolutely. I I do want to talk about um Barry as your lead. We had Barry on this podcast. He's a, he, he really is a fascinating Well, fascinating recently. Person. Back when he was nominated for um Banshees of Inishiran, um, he is fascinating. His story is fascinating, and just the way he approaches acting is fascinating. And I, I think you know the thing that he said to us that I found the most interesting is you know he's always looking to keep some rawness, some untrained aspect to his performances. So I'm curious, as his his recent director, how you saw that manifest and how you used it or not used it, but how you utilized it to your to to your directing style. I mean, I think the thing is, is that me and Barry are like, <laughs> we're like brother and sister fighting in the back of the car <laughs> a lot of the time. And I mean that like as an extremely sort of loving way We're we're both incredibly different in that I'm the kind of like super, super, super nerd. And he's the sort of, yeah, the kind of like naturally gifted, um, I don't know, he's sort of like lightning in a bottle, I guess. And I think actually it's a really, I think I felt like it was a really great combination in a lot of ways because, you know, he made me let go of it and I made him, and I applied a lot of pressure, I think, because this is, you know, this is like his first leading role and he is exceptional, but it's a different, you know, it's a different job being the lead of a movie. You've got to really be the kind of like center of it and it, and it's fucking exhausting and I think in, in lots of ways, 
that thing is really hard having to be the kind of center of everything. But what I love so much about him is, firstly, I saw him in Killing of a Sacred Deer mm-hmm. and I was just like, that's the best actor I've ever seen, ever. Kind of not even, I don't even think it's generational. It's like, oh, that's it. That's the mm-hmm. thing, whatever the thing is. And, you know, when when it kind of, when we were looking at Oliver, you know, Oliver is somebody who's like both incredibly vulnerable and incredibly enigmatic. And Barry has this sort of, yeah, he's just got this this thing. He's just got this thing that is impossible to describe. He's so compelling and, and you know, it's interesting, there's stuff in this movie that, Obviously, people say, oh, my God, you know, there's, it's really interesting. It's often framed in the way of like, oh, how did you get, you know, how did you get X to do Y? And firstly, I'm just like, I would never get or make anyone do anything. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's really important to me that we're all in it together. But I think me and Barry in particular share a kind of goal, which is like, go in. I mean, I mean that, like, in every, like, go in. If you're going to do it, you have to get, you have to do it properly and for all that you know (laughs) we would like bicker and and sort of drive each other a bit mad sometimes when it came to the moments where we both needed you know we really like held each other's hands I think and we really jumped off the cliff because I think he feels what I feel which is that we have an opportunity to do something that nobody else has done before, to show a feeling that nobody else has shown before, to go to places that are kind of both sort of devastating and uncomfortable and sort of funny. And I don't know, I think that there's, you have to just know that it's not, there's no kind of, it's so difficult to describe. You have to take it seriously. You have to take it seriously if you're gonna. If you're gonna, for all the you know, it's showbiz and these are movies. So much of the time, you're asked as a filmmaker and as an actor, like, what you know, can you cut here? Can you cut here? What it you know, the mo- the number of times in this movie that you anticipate cutting in the same way that you know, with promising a woman, with spoiler alert, you know, Cassie's death. The thing for me that I find so I don't want to though. I don't want to look away. I'm not interested in people being comfortable at all. I'm interested in in showing a feeling and actually making people feel uncomfortable. And it's not about being provocative. It's about getting into why some things make us feel uncomfortable. And, you know, if they make us feel uncomfortable because we identify with it, that's something I want to know about. And Barry understands implicitly that when, that, that you know, you can't fuck around. There's no being coy about something. If we're saying, there's no like, you know, ooh, this a suggestion. There's no suggestiveness. It's just like getting in there. And that's the thing that I just find so admirable about him and why, you know, this film is so important to me for lots of reasons. But for that one is that he, I don't want to say took a risk because I think that actually he's so brilliant that it's not a risk in any, you know, in the sense that it would, it's it's more that we decided we'd do it and see what people thought. And it's now going to be in the theatres, which is so, it says, speaks a lot to the studio and the producers that they, <laughs> you know, allowed some of it. But I don't know. 
I think that's, you know, that's part of what makes you a very, very exciting filmmaker. Because I, I was thinking that throughout this movie is, is it's nice to be in the hands of somebody who's going to show me something that I have never seen before and is not, like you said, going to leave it to suggestion or cut away at the right time. It's, it, 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 this is a movie that contains a lot of stuff where, you know, it just, it lets it happen and does not give, doesn't hold the audience's hand. It does not hold anyone's hand. Yeah. And I think that me and Barry, like, I think also the great thing about that, in fact, everyone in this, but I think yes. just the Barry stuff too, is that like, we don't think it's weird. We don't think it's funny, you know? So it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting confront confrontation when we're like, when everyone else is like, <gasps> Yeah. We're like, like what's wrong? <laughs> but no, not not what's wrong. Like, yes, of course, yes. But like yeah. the reason that we feel that way is because we I mean, I I feel, you know, there are moments in this movie where, you know, people don't like certain moments. And a lot of the time, I think when you probe it, it's because they're turned on. Mm-hmm. They're turned on, or there's something that there's something that they don't want to look at too strongly. Yes. I noticed that you worked with an intimacy coordinator for this film, uh, Miriam Lucia. And I'm always fascinated to hear about that experience because this is, you know, it's a, it's a position that relatively new, unfortunately, uh, and people still don't quite understand and still don't quite understand their function. We had, you know, we had an episode of this show about intimacy coordination and it was really fascinating to hear just sort of about what they do. So I'm curious what, what, what your experience was like and, uh, you know, what, how that sort of influenced everything basically totally well miriam is the best and i think honestly i don't know how well i do know how everyone got by without intimacy coordinators and it was because lots of young women were basically being coerced into doing stuff that they didn't want to fucking do (laughs) so you know a lot of the time when people are resistant to intimacy coordinators it's not because they stop anything sexual or sensual in nature from happening it's just that people preferred it when they just told girls what to do and they did it and didn't have any autonomy for me consent is absolutely crucial and again you know not just because i'm a goody goody but because that's what makes things real if people are comfortable it's the same thing as you know talking about the bad acting talking about the kind of stuff that's if all of you trust each other, if you trust that your director isn't trying to basically, somebody said, I remember years ago that they called, um, they called boobs, it sounds like such an unofficial word, breasts. Um, what was the phrase? They were talking about something, the cheapest um, special effect, cheapest special effect. So basically they add value to something cheaply. And you're just like, oh yeah, well, fuck you. And I think, the thing is, is that actually with a film like this, where you are touching all of this, the conversation is just so crucial. What Miriam does and why I love her so much is I spoke to her really early on in the process. You know, she read the script. You know, I showed her all of my mood boards, all of the sort of where I wanted to shoot things are very precise, obviously, about how things would be shot. And then she goes and speaks to the actors. There's no pressure on the actors to... I say, this is my dream scenario. She then goes to them. They either come back and say, yes, or, or maybe it could be this or whatever it is. 
And then of course, you're not constrained because she's always there on the day. So then if you feel like something else, there's another dynamic that needs to be introduced or whatever, you call her over and you say, look, I've been thinking this completely easy either way, you go and see. And and it just means that it just means that everyone can do their job feeling safe, knowing what to expect. And it actually makes everyone much freer. And at the same time, you know, if somebody came to me after they saw the movie and said, you know, obviously we've it's um it's locked now, but at the beginning, you know, if somebody came and said, actually I've changed my mind or it wouldn't be in there because I'm not interested in in that at all. What I'm interested in is that that we're all making something together and we're making something that feels interesting to us. And then apart from that, the sex in this movie, I don't think there are any sex scenes where you see even below the shoulders. Certainly don't see any nudity in the sex scenes. Almost all in the face. So all of the sex in this movie is up to the audience's imagination. Don't think that makes it any less sexy. It's just you know, it's amazing what you can do when you're, you know, alone <laughs> in the frame, which, you know, a lot of the times it is. And then and then the nudity is completely taken away from the sex scenes in, in the sense that they're about joy or grief or love, you know, or kind of horror. They're not, you know, we, we, did with the, we never have two nude bodies in a frame together. Not that I'm remotely against that. It's just that it's interesting with this film. I think there was a lot of conversation about how it would be rated and people being concerned about the ratings. But of course, frame by frame, very little happens in this film that's shocking, actually. I mean, what we're imagining is quite shocking. <laughs> but it's it's always within, certainly well within the, the kind of comfort levels of the cast. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I see that we are sort of nearing our end of our time together. And I do want to, you know, everything we've discussed is is about a very original film, uh, your second original film. I think that, that, again, part of what makes you such an exciting filmmaker is these deeply original films that you're making that are actually also hitting the zeitgeist and stuff like that. So I do want to ask you sort of the, the big question of, you know, sort of as somebody within it, as somebody doing it, what you see the role of original films playing, the the, the sort of these... I don't want to call them rare, but these non-IP sort of mid-budget plays, you know, and then you you were also just in Barbie, which is in a different category, but also a deeply original film because of the filmmaker behind it. So I, I'm just curious, you know, again, this is the big question, so it's okay if the answer is, is a bit general, but what you see the sort of the present and future of, of original film being in the uh, ever-changing landscape. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, it feels sort of very grandiose to me with my two films <laughs> <laughs> to be to be pontificating about that because there'll be people who know much more than me. But I think it's honestly, I feel really excited. This year has just been so thrilling. When I think of like Bo is Afraid, my favorite film, maybe like the last five years, you know, that is up there with some of the most original, beautiful, clever, surprising work. We've got past lives you've got yeah you've got barbie you've got i mean there's just there's so much that's thrilling and i think that things always come in waves don't they i think everything kind of comes and goes and and it feels like now people are wanting to kind of zone in on stuff that's a little bit more intimate they're wanting to be kind of yeah challenged they're wanting to watch movies together again i think that's the 
thing that I feel so strongly about is that, you know, it was difficult with Promising a Woman because that was made, it was so made, it was so much of movie made to be in a theatre. And it would all, and it was so kind of the few times we got to see it in a theatre before lockdown, it was so exciting because exactly, you know, you could kind of feel the thumb screws tightening on people. And it was just, and the kind of, you know, that kind of like wonderful feeling of like pressure and release that I hope that we have in Salt to do of like something's unbearable and then you laugh and you think you're going to be okay and you're not going to be okay. And so it's just that thing of like, you've got to, there are just some things that are designed to like be in a room because you can't, because you can't really get, you know, the, the horror and comedy particularly, it's hard to kind of enjoy quite so much on your own, but especially something like this, which is, you know, transgressive and and kind of exciting up to some point. You know, what you want is for people to get rowdy, you want them to go and argue and kind of find it hot or think it's not hot and be fucking furious and go on a date and be like, oh, this is definitely not someone I want to go out with because they loved, hated, were indifferent to. You know, it's just, it's just like, I think we're ready to be close to each other again. And that's what these movies are about you know, if everything before was about scale and, you know, kind of in the sort of like some a level of like emotional distance where when you look at all the movies this year, they're very much about how we relate to each other to some degree and what we've done to each other and how we fix that or don't. I love that. Well, Emerald, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I, I I can't even tell you how, how, how much I love this movie and have been like you mentioned, I've been recommending it and I can't wait to see what that says about me as the recommending person for people. But again, very excited about this film. Very excited for whatever you do next. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at InTheEnvelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.